BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. certain elegance today. Don't you concede that? <laughs> and you must also concede that this uh, mustache is growing to unbelievable luxuriance. In fact, uh, I have to concede that at a very early age, I was subliminally influenced by Dr. Fu Manchu. In fact, uh, did you ever see pictures of Fu Manchu? I mean, you know, uh, when those stories were appearing in long, thin... Of course, the, the true Fu Manchu mustache consists of long, thin hairs that hang down almost to your, your breastbone, you know, long, draping. But the thing about Fu Manchu that nobody talks about... Well, bring it up there, please. We'll talk about things about Fu Manchu that nobody talks about. <laughs> hey, George. You, you just can't beat it. There's, there's the never-ending tapestry of life on this program. The never-ending tapestry of life. Well, the thing they never mentioned about Fu Manchu is not his mustache. Everybody talks about that. Uh, the thing they don't talk about, though, is there were two outstanding characteristics that Dr. Fu Manchu had, uh, other than the fact, of course, he had a massive intellect that was incredible in its, uh, in its uh, ramifications and its total concept of evil. Uh, he, he, uh, he applied his massive intellect to evil purposes. In fact, there was a great deal of 
of thought that uh, Fu Manchu was, in fact, an agent of the devil. If not, the devil himself. Uh, he had a great intellect, fantastic imagination. And what's more important, he applied it. Now, many of us, you know, lay around underneath the radiators of the life that we live and uh, think great thoughts, but we do nothing about it. Fu Manchu worked at it. Uh, and furthermore, he had some interesting physical characteristics. Al, did you ever read a Fu Manchu story? All right, now, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, almost every... No, no, I don't know why I have to do this, but uh, I'm, you see, the, the, the thirst for human knowledge consumes me at times. And uh, while other people in my, in my uh, undergraduate work uh, in the university were, were hard at work studying the ironic ramifications of the novels of Jane Austen, uh, they were, they were, <laughs> they were dealing uh, with a, with the, with the, uh, the, uh, the essays of, of Montaigne. Uh, they were working hard on the, uh, on the implied uh, uh, apocalyptic vision of Rambo. Uh, I personally applied myself with enormous diligence in studying uh, the works of Sax Romer, who, by the way, is the creator was the creator of Dr. Fu Manchu. I wonder how many of you knew that. And uh, incidentally, there is one very famous picture of, of Sax Romer. Uh, Sax Romer was an English writer, of course, but there was one famous picture of Sax Romer where he, on the back of one of his, his books, you know, the dust jacket photo, where he was dressed in the garbs of Dr. Fu Manchu, and he had a long ivory cigarette holder. He looked a fate. He looked uh, uh, evil, and uh, it was kind of a strange picture. You know, it looked like a, <laughs> a curious picture. He had a long robe with the high collar, Mandarin collar, and all. But uh, the thing that was important to remember about Dr. Fu Manchu, he had he had curious physical attributes. Among them, uh, he had the eyes. What, what, what were what were important about his eyes? No, 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 piercing. Why, half the cab drivers I know got piercing eyes. <laughs> he did not. Have, he had piercing eyes, of course. But his eyes had a particularly fascinating, uh, almost, almost, well, it, it, was, it was an inhuman quality. What was it? Well, I'll tell you what it was. I mean, again, I'm faced with lesser intellects. Uh, once again, I'm faced with the fact that I do have... To, I walk alone, largely, in my great knowledge of the trivia of the world. I have to concede that. But uh, this was not necessarily trivial, you see. It was an important characteristic of Dr. Manchu, and, in fact, was often used to uh, augment the ideas that C. Nayland Smith had that Dr. Fu Manchu was not human at all. He was another breed. He was, he was another level of... of uh, of uh, creativity, another creature, in fact. What was it? Well, I'll tell you what it was. Uh, have you ever observed the eyes of the snake? Do you know that the snake's eyes, they do not have lids such as you and I have. They have a particular type of eye that films over. They have a film that goes over the eye. This was a characteristic of Dr. Fu Manchu. And the pupil of the eye, instead of being round as the pupil of your eye is, he had thin vertical slits 
much as the sort of eye one sees in the reptilian body. Now, this, this is going to... That would stop you, even on the subway. You're used to seeing insane sights on the subway. Somebody got on the subway with eyes like that, you'd look. But he had another characteristic. Curious characteristic. His skin was, was, was not the type of skin that you and I have, you know, ordinary skin. His skin appeared to be aged parchment. It, uh, it appeared, it, it, he seemed totally ageless. In fact, uh, uh, there was one passage where, where C. Nalen Smith, observing Fu Manchu under a brilliant white light, which he often affected in his inner chambers, said, my God, a man appears to be thousands of years old, yet he appears to be ageless. Well, this, uh, this is an also an interesting characteristic. And one other thing, he had, he had enormously long, curling fingernails, which, of course, were the mark of the, of the Mandarin uh, caste from which he came, uh, meaning that long fingernails meant that he had never indulged in physical labor. At no point uh, do his hands touch such things as, as uh, tools. <laughs> so so uh, now, now these are all part of, of, uh, of the, uh, you know, of the, of the literary background in which I work. And you can see that the mustache I have affected is a little bit influenced by Dr. Manchu, although it does, it's not worn with the flair. Uh, you must have the, the thin, parchment-faced, aquiline look of a reptile about to strike to get the perfect, the perfect feeling for this mustache. Uh, it, uh, not many can wear it. Uh, incidentally, uh, tonight, uh, we're, we're going to take this opportunity uh, to salute one of our, our uh, citizens who has risen above the ordinary call of duty, among the ordinary muck and mile of 20th century life. And uh, curiously enough, it, it is a bird. Uh, we are going to salute a bird named Charles, known familiarly to his friends as Charlie, uh, who was uh, well? I, I I have to I read the piece to you. It's uh, it's uh, symbolically enough from Philadelphia. We all know of the bluebird proclivities of the Philadelphians, right? But only in Philadelphia is the boo a major art form, and youngsters are taught from very earliest infancy on how to get distance and variety and uh, a piercing quality to their boos. B O O boo. And uh, the Philadelphian stands alone. And, and yet, uh, it's interesting enough, even the animal life in the Philadelphia area is and has been affected by this. We have a note from one of the Philadelphia papers, one of my favorite humor papers, the Bulletin of Philadelphia, a great organ of, of unconscious humor. And it says, Police in the middle, Middletown Township, Bucks County, which is just outside of Philadelphia, if you know the area there, Yesterday morning received a report that a large talking blackbird was terrorizing children on their way to school in Levittown. Well, it's not easy to terrorize a child on his way to school out of Levittown. Uh, this is a, a community conceived in the, in the spirit of pure Kafka from the start. But uh, nevertheless, you notice Shepard's waspish wit tonight does not stop. Uh, <laughs> who's Kafka? Well, that'll be your homework for tonight. Uh, nevertheless, it uh, sounds like he plays for the Detroit Lions, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, uh, but a linebacker, perhaps. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we, uh, we must point, point out that this bird was uh, walking around on the sidewalks outside of Levittown. 
And, uh, and whenever he was approached, uh, what made this bird interesting, when he was approached, uh, he would holler one thing, which I think is kind of interesting. It's a phrase not used often by Americans, unless you happen to be from Philadelphia. When approached, he would say the following, Ah! Bug off! I repeat, for those of you who didn't quite get that, not uh, uh, capable of understanding how birds talk, he would, ah, ah! And they would approach him, and then he would say clearly in a distinct voice, Watch, Al, we're ready to go here. Ah! Bug off! Bug off! <laughs> so Charlie, uh, the Philadelphian bird, uh, already is... Uh, is uh, displaying uh, a marked animosity to his environment by yelling bug off to anybody that shows up if you didn't get what he was saying. <laughs> Not everybody. You see, the reason I can understand how birds talk is because uh, I grew up uh, in very close proximity to a talking crow uh, who uh, lived on top of a garage, on top of Stanford's garage, about four garages away from our garage. And he would sit on the top of the garage and just, you know, talk to the neighborhood occasionally. And uh, what he used to say, albeit I must say his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his power to communicate was strong, which incidentally is often the case of those of limited vocabulary. He told you what he meant. Now, uh, he didn't do it with subtlety and grace, but he did it with great effectiveness. And this uh, crow, who was named John, I used to just sit up on top of Stanford's garage, and once in a while he would just holler, "Bam!" So he hollered. <laughs> We're getting up there large. <laughs> he was big, man. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a kid has taken this uh, bird in tow. Says the bird followed me home, so he wants to keep it as a pet. In case you're curious what kind of a bird it is, it looks like a crow to me. I've seen crows before. And I don't know whether you know anything about crows, but crows can be uh, the most maddening of birds. And uh, before we go into that, uh, uh, you know, they, they speckle, first of all, they speckle the landscape with droppings of one kind or another, which uh, reminds me, do you have time in there for commercial? Good. Hit the button, please, Al. It's a misty night. Walking along Cedar Street, hand in hand, are Andy and Betsy. Know what Andy's doing besides being nervous about how he can kiss Betsy goodnight? <laughs> he's sneaking a lifesaver. And not even Betsy will know he snuck it until he kisses her. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Lemon, got another lifesaver? Girls, the why boys should always carry plenty of lifesavers. trademark. Yes, indeed. Let's see. We have with us uh, the House of Chan. And uh, for those of you out there who are scouting around looking for a good Chinese... And you know, I have to agree with uh, Barry about something he said the other night, Fiber. Yeah, he, he, he said that uh, he's never seen a Chinese restaurant that he didn't like. Well, there is some truth to that. I mean, if you like Chinese food, you know, this has got a certain characteristic. I, I can't go that far. <laughs> I have been in a couple of Chinese restaurants that were not 
as good as other Chinese restaurants. But let's put it this way. Bad Chinese restaurants are quite often better than mediocre restaurants of various other nationalities. Do you buy that? Uh, okay. But if you're looking for a good Chinese restaurant, really a, a recognizably good one, I would suggest uh, down at... When I say recognizably, this one's been in business for 35 years, and incidentally, in one of the toughest areas of New York as far as uh, uh, cuisine is concerned. In other words, there's a lot of competition where they are, and uh, a lot of people can choose and pick in that area. It's 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. <laughs> That's in the middle of everything. And these guys have been big for 35 years. It's fine Chinese food, have an excellent bar, and uh, one, one very important thing about it, many times you go to a, an Oriental restaurant and you'll have to wait a long time for your food. Uh, this has happened to me. But they have a special thing there. If you come in, you tell them you got to make a show, you know, you're going to, uh, you know, the uh, premiere of a new porny or something like that. You, you have to get there fast. You don't want to miss anything. So uh, you just tell them you got to make a show, and uh, and they'll they'll whip the stuff on you in in quick order. This is the House of Chan, Fifty Second Street and Seventh Avenues. Okay, you know. Uh, uh, speaking of, uh, yeah, this is WR New York. And by the way, WR is an old Chinese word. In case you're interested, you know, War Main. You you know about this. You know what it means, don't you? You know what it means in Chinese means soft and gooey, which kind of adequately, uh, you know, it's a soft and gooey. Yeah, war main means soft noodles. Main meaning noodles. War main meaning soft and gooey noodles. I mean, you know, it's just a coincidence. I didn't, uh, uh, <laughs> could have meant mean rotten noodles, but it doesn't. It means <laughs> soft and gooey noodles. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I would like to uh, point out, though, that this dog, uh, you know, this this dog that uh, that uh, brought this little note here. We have a dog that makes occasional deliveries on the 20th floor uh, that carries this stuff in his mouth and uh, brought this stuff up here, made a rotten remark about the bird Charlie and left, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of intramural strife these days. You notice that every group is trying to hang on to its own. And the more than that, they won't give up. It's uh, in the identity for the identity of the common good, right? You've noticed this. Well, this is true of, uh, of almost everybody. It's one way or another. And I and I this clipping on the bulletin, you know, it comes out. I'm looking at this thing about the bird, see. And I often find that that, that when my spies send me clippings, the stuff that they think is great is really the secondary stuff. On the back side of the clipping is often the best stuff, which uh, you know they'll exit out like, don't look at this. And I turned, well, here's, here's what was X'd out. It, uh, I don't know whether you follow Andy Cap or not much. Do you? Well, uh, Andy Cap, uh, Andy Cap often touches upon the human condition, which is certainly nothing that, uh, that Snoopy does. Snoopy touches on something else, but certainly ain't the human condition, and certainly not the condition of beagles either. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Andy Cap does deal with the human condition. <laughs> And, and in ways you you rarely see dealt with in comic strips. For example, in comic strips, uh, generally when people have arguments, they're very, they're very, uh, uh, you know, the blondie type thing. There, there's nothing but funniness involved. It's never bitterness, right? There's uh, never bitterness enters into comic strips. But Andy Cap, now here for here's a typical strip. It shows his wife. Well, what's his wife's name? I'll give you 
a trivia question. What's his Andy's wife's name? Well, see there again, I'm faced with the, the blank wall of ignorance. Uh, for those of you who are lesser literate than I am, I will have to say it is Flo. His wife's name is Flo. What's the name of her girlfriend? You don't know that either. All right. Uh, you do know Andy's name is Andy. You, you've, that's penetrated your skull, right? But uh, do you know what his name is a play on? It's, his name is Andy Cap. What is that a play on? You don't see the meaning of that. Well, of course, you realize he's a horse player. And he's also Cockney. So when you'd say, if you were a Cockney, how would you say the word handicap? You'd say, Andy. You'd say, Andy Cap. Right? Well, all right. His name is thus Andy Cap. So, or, or Andy Cap, if you prefer it that way. Sam, you're getting a little literate here about the comic strips, but uh, uh, let's say even more than that, I'm getting a little, uh, a little discursive on the subject of comic strips. But uh, nevertheless, Andy Cap does occasionally touch on the human condition, particularly the relationship of man and woman, which, uh, as we all know, is a highly complex uh, interpersonal relationship. By the way, I heard a fantastic thing the other day. I'm walking along on Greenwich Avenue, say, down the village, and you hear these you hear these lines just come winging out at you <laughs> that uh, that could that could come right out of a uh, out of a Jules Pfeiffer cartoon, one of the better cartoons by Pfeiffer. And here's this chick walking ahead of me, saying she's she's got granny glasses, the whole bit, you know, the long uh, the long fur coat, and the whole bit, you know, with the 17 inch uh, soles on her shoes and all. She's hobbling along on these shoes and uh, she's talking to uh, this male she was with who was about six feet seven weighed about 82 pounds had a long white coat with white fur on the bottom you know, beads hanging down great mop of hair you know the whole bit granny glasses and all and she said the following she said you know what you're going to have to do and he didn't answer he continued to plod along looking glum she said you're going to have to expand the creative aspect of your interpersonal relationships. Well, that's pure Pfeiffer. Uh, expand the creative aspect of your interpersonal relationships. Now, that's pure new school. Uh, right, <laughs> right down the line. <laughs> Which is to say, it doesn't have much to do with reality, but it makes great conversation. It makes fantastic uh, uh, captions for cartoons. And here she just said it, you know, right in front of uh, right in front of the A Street bookstore, symbolically. And they just laid it out there, saying, and I figured, you know, it was some kind of a, you know, I figured it was some kind of a, a an improv uh, acting group out working out on the sidewalk, you know, to get a little uh, work in among the people. But no, no, he looked at her, you know, with this 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 look of a uh, of uh, you know, sad look of a beagle who has just been turned off the Alpo, and uh, you know, he was cut to the quick. And he said to her the following, he says, what do you mean? My relationships are very creative. And they walked along for another two or three yards, and I'm listening, you know, and she's saying nothing, he's saying nothing. And finally she says, well, if you call your interpersonal relationships creative, like saying, uh, you know, if we can kill the ladybugs that are hanging around the front yard, why can't we get rid of bubonic plague? Two different things <laughs> of a totally different magnitude. Uh, a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, is is a is a is a is a well-known research medical doctor. He, he does nothing but research. 
in fact, at Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia. And he says one of the things that really makes him laugh is when he hears, you know, otherwise well-informed, uh, well-informed, uh, a serious uh, commentator say something. And now the science editor reports. And he says, well, today's editorial consists of a matter of values. This corner can see no reason why a nation with the fantastic economic scientific capabilities as these United States, which have been unable to land a man on the moon, is unable to solve the problem of the simple cold. It is a matter of priority. And that's tonight's editorial. Good night. Well, my friend says the simple cold is probably one of the most complex diseases known to man. Did you know that, Al? The cold <laughs> solving, putting a guy on the moon is like... Uh, is like uh, building a triangle with children's blocks, you know, one on top of the other, compared uh, to, let us say, uh, uh, <laughs> let us say, uh, mastering quantum mechanics by a chimpanzee. He says the common cold is probably one of the most enigmatic of man's afflictions. Well, but that's, you know, ignorance will always lead you to believe things are that simple. And uh, and to be able to, to to parallel solving racial problems with landing people on the moon is to either either you don't know anything about landing people on the moon or you don't know anything about race problems, quite probably both. Uh, so <laughs> so you know he's everything. But anyway, he says, "What what what can I lose?" And so me and Peggy got married. I said, "You married Peggy?" He says, "Yep." I had met this Peggy a couple of times. I kind of liked it. All right. And so I said, gee, that's great, George. Said, yeah, yep, yep, we're married now. So a couple of weeks go by, and the George uh, keeps coming in, and he looks normal, you know, looks fine. We go out to, to have our blimpy sandwich uh, after work all the time, and nothing, nothing's changed. And so about a month and a half go by, and one day George says the following to me. He says, hey, Shep, he said, uh, how'd you like to come over to the house for dinner? Well, now, this, uh, you know, it's a pure married remark. Uh, a guy that is not married doesn't, doesn't say that, right, Al? <laughs> and so he says, how would you like to pour the house for dinner? And I said, well, gee, sure, uh, George, you know, uh, yeah. Because it's a kind of strange situation. You know, I couldn't quite relate to the idea that George is now married. And uh, he's been married now about two months, roughly. So I said, well, sure, fine, George, I'd like to. He said, well, yeah, you know, uh, Peggy and I got the new apartment, and... Uh, it's out there on the Vine Street, and uh, we'd like to have you up. Uh, how about uh, this, this this Sunday, huh? So I said, sure, I'm only working till noon Sunday, so uh, I'll be down. How about uh, what time does uh, she want to have dinner? So he says, oh, make it uh, 1 2 o'clock. You know, after work, you get off work, come on up, we'll have dinner. We'll have lunch, you know, dinner, and we'll sit around, and, and uh, you know. So I said, okay, George. So uh, it's now about Wednesday, I figured uh, you know, everything's cool. So uh, about Friday, I asked George again. I said, hey, George, is that still on for uh, for this uh, this Sunday? And, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, come on out. We're going to have dinner, you know. So I get, you know, innocently, I get uh, get uh, kind of dressed up for Sunday. You know, I figured I'm going to George and Peggy's house, and, and uh, they got this new apartment. And, and so uh, I take my old car out. My, I had this old Ford that I was driving around at the time, and, and uh, I, I 
I took the uh, vacuum cleaner and sweeped it out and jazz like that. And so I drove up Vine Street. I got off work. You know, it's a nice sunny day, beautiful day. The sun is shining. And it's a, it's a you know, crisp, beautiful uh, uh, winter, uh, be- beautiful day. A little snow on the trees. And so we drive up. I drive up Vine Street. And here's here's the, the building, which I had been driving past like 100 years uh, driving down Vine Street. But now it's an official building. See, this is where George and Peggy live. And... And it's an apartment house. It's got about, you know, 30 or 40 apartments, one of these brick apartments. So I walk into the door there, and there on the bell there is their name, Mr. and Mrs., see? And very official. They, you know, so, so I ring, the, I hit the button, you know, and I stand around and wait. And finally, after a long pause, uh, the door goes, and it stops. Well, I didn't get to it quick enough. You know, how many times does this happen? You know, you grab it. So I ring the buzzer again. See, I go, ah. And then it goes, ah, and I grab it real fast, and I swing it open, and so I go up. It was one of these apartment houses when the minute you open the door down in the bottom, when you walk into the, the first place, you know, it's got these uh, sort of dark red bricks, like tile floor, and it's kind of dark. You know, certain apartments are dark uh, with dark wood and stuff, and it's got a little narrow staircase going up, and I can smell like 20,000 meals being cooked. Uh, you know, <laughs> just that, that rich, humus, the smell, you know, like a like some kind of a, a gustatorial compost heap. Uh, yeah, well, you know what I mean, old cabbage and the new hamburger and all that stuff. So, so I walk into this place, and, and he, they were up on the fourth floor, and they had this little tiny elevator. So I pressed the elevator, and I can hear chains clanking, boom, 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 ging, boom, <laughs> it's coming down. Well, now, I might point out something that uh, should be pointed out, that prior to this, George, uh, George uh, was one of my uh, yeah, very close friends, but George was like the epitome of the swinging bachelor. George had this basement apartment, a pad, really, which he had hacked out of the basement of some house, just an old Victorian house. He rented the basement, and he had all kinds of posters and jazz, and, uh, you know, the whole bit. You know, he had the wine bottles uh, half filled with wine all over the place, and the record, uh, his record player was scattered all over the floor in components, you know, hooked together with wires and at the records under the day bed. And it had a big bearskin rug, which he slept under, you know, that, uh, you know, the whole bit, see. Well, this is a very different scene. And uh, I can hear kids crying off in a distance someplace. And, and so I get into the elevator. The elevator stops, and it's, the door creaks open, and I get into it. And I, it was one of these kinds with the with the with the door, you know, you have to pull back like a folding door, and I slam it, and it clanks, and it creaks upward. And I look down on the floor, and there's a, you know, just a kind of a, a couple of cigarette butts on the floor. And I see, so we're creeping up this 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 elevator, just clanking up to the fourth floor. I finally get to the fourth floor, and I creak the door open, and I push the thing out, and I go out into the hallway. Well, now, it was one of these apartments that has a narrow. That, that is the apartment house. One of these narrow, like a, like a narrow passageway, really, an old brick apartment. And, and there were like 30 doors, all gray steel, <laughs> you know, one after the other, with little tiny faded gold numbers written on the side, 4G, 4D, 4A. And uh, so I walk along, and they, he was living in 4E, so I go down to 4E, see, and I... I uh, press the button. There's a little little uh, pearl-type button on there, and I press it, and I can hear off in the distance this very nasty doorbell. It goes, eh! You know, it just sort of, eh! And it would stick. Ehh! Well, 
I hear a little mumbling in there, and it was kind of a kind of a rustling sound. And finally, the door opens, and there's George. I said, "Hi, George, I'm here." <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, come on in, come on in." So I walk in, and it's it's a totally different kind of a scene than George had been living in. I might point out right for starters. To begin with, there were a lot of doilies around. Now. Uh, uh, some people have a taste for doilies, others don't. Now, I'm personally neutral on doilies. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I tend to be anti-doily, and I don't like to have my biases show like this, but I tend to be anti-doily, but I fight it. Uh, I try to suppress my natural anti-doily tendencies. There are other people who are just actively anti-doily. My kid brother, for example, he hates doilies so much that, that he'll go into a place and he'll pull the doilies right off the chairs. <laughs> he just pulls them off and sticks them down underneath the cushion and sit there. He doesn't like to have a doily behind him. And I said to him one time, I said, Randy, how come you don't like doilies so much? You know, I could take them or leave them alone. He says, well, I always feel like there's a spider web behind my head and there's a spider in the middle of it. <laughs> you know, well, that's another kind of paranoia. So I, I walk into the house there, and it's very neat. The house is very neat. It's, got, it's a furnished apartment, overstuffed furniture, big, fat overstuffed. And uh, you could... Yeah, hot. It was very warm in this apartment, which incidentally was a very different different thing from George's apartment. That's why he needed a bearskin rug to sleep in. George's apartment was always winter and summer, roughly uh, three degrees above freezing. <laughs> it was always cold, and he lived that way. So I sit down after talking to George a little bit. He talked like just any other time. He's normal, you know. And uh, he sits down at the table. He says, well, we're, how about having dinner? You ought, you ought to be hungry. You've been working. Did you have breakfast this morning? I said, no, I saved. You know, I didn't want to eat, so, I'll, you know, I figured I'd uh, really lay it in here. So he said, well, come on, sit down. And I hear a little banging around out in the kitchen, and out comes this Peggy. She's got her hair up in blue barrels, and uh, she's wearing this uh, bathrobe. She says nothing. She puts down a meatloaf in front of us or something. George says, well, let's dig in which point Peggy comes in and sits down and starts to read the paper. George and I eat. Peggy says nothing. George says nothing to Peggy. This went on for about an hour. I ate the meatloaf and the mashed potatoes. And I had a little uh, after-dinner brandy. George says, he always lived high. Finally, I had to say it. See, Peggy gets up and walks out of the room. I says, hey, George, is there something wrong? He says, no, no. I said, you and Peggy haven't said anything to each other for like an hour and a half. Oh, sure, we, we never talk. We talk, we, 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 we haven't talked since about, uh, oh, about two weeks ago. We just don't talk anymore. I said, don't talk anymore? He said, no. Just don't talk. I got nothing to say to her. She comes back into the room. I said, that was good meatloaf, Peggy. She said, yes, thank you very much. Very pleasant. But, uh, she said, will you tell him that I would appreciate it if he would go down to the store and get some ice cream. Would you tell him? I turned to George. I said, George, uh, Peggy would like you to get some ice cream. He said, would you tell her? that okay, I'll go down. Does she want chocolate? Ask her that. They just never spoke. They never spoke again, as far as I know. Which could be a perfect way to solve the problem, you know? Uh, 
This is WOR. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.